This episode of Dungeon Crawlers Radio is brought to you by Gamers Inn, where adventure begins. Check out their website at gamersinlehigh.com. Broadcasting live from the DCR studio. Oh, yeah! The Geek Revolution starts here. Excellent! Get ready for the number one hit geek radio show out there. Well, it is impressive, isn't it? Because it's time for Dungeon Crawlers Radio. All right, welcome back to another exciting episode of Dungeon Crawlers Radio, where you will see zombies eating your children later this evening. I will finish what you started. I'm still freaking out about the Star Wars trailer. Awesome. All right. So, this is our Halloween ep- special <laughs> yeah. episode. There's some really cool stuff that's going to happen later on in this show. We're just going to leave it that something will happen, things will go crazy, and you might are be looking safe? out your door. Are we Are we safe, Daniel? I don't know. I'm scared. Yep. <laughs> Yes. The guy at Gamers Inn is just going to come in. I'm going to like crap my pants. Something like no that. For good reason. Why are yes. you always talking about doing stuff in your pants? Wow. <laughs> um, I was talking about peeing. I don't know. You, earlier you were talking about peeing in your pants. and now you're That was last week. I know, but you always have to say something. Wow, we've already gone down to the potty. <sighs> okay, so with that said, uh, we've got Brett some really Cohen's cool stuff. I really left his footprint in the show. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> there's some cool stuff going on. So since it's Halloween this weekend... And there's some really cool stuff that most people will be doing. We can talk about some Halloween stuff. You know, what are some really cool horror movies? Uh, what are some games? Do you oh like playing? Oh, my gosh. And, and stuff like that. We forgot to tell you what we thought of Crimson oh, Peak Oh, yeah, last we week. saw Crimson Peak. Okay, so you saw Crimson Peak, which is a horror We wish. Nope. It's not a horror we movie. We wish it was a horror movie. It's film. not. It is not a horror it's movie. Not. Isn't that how they were pitching it? It is a gothic Love story. Yeah, it, they Ew. they marketed it like completely and and utterly to be a horror movie, and then you walk in and it is, it is definitely not, not a horror, a horror movie. Film. So it's Twilight. No. Okay. No. It's better. Than that. It's a mess. More me- is a mess. Okay. It's better. Story. It's kind of. What are you doing? Up. Was your mic off the whole My time? Mic was off that whole time. So. Uh, yeah. Hey, welcome to the show, McKay. Hey, thanks. Hey, look at that. <laughs> No wonder you're hey, just a PA. Yeah, Aww. <laughs> <laughs> just got real. Just hurt him right here I feel today, a little bad we? for Mikhail over here. Then he flipped a switch <laughs> and he's upgraded to level one minus cadet, will cadet I'll take it. radio <laughs> he has personality. No, he has no yeah. weapons or powers yet. No. You have no power here. <laughs> no power. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, Crimson Peak, um, for me, I mean, a lot of people, I've talked to people that really enjoyed it. Um, for us, like for me personally, I was expecting more from Del Toro. I felt like there was way too much CG and the thing I love about him most are his, his practical effects when it comes to makeup and when it comes to vision. Um, the house We all remember Hellboy too. Yeah. It was amazing. Pan's Labyrinth. Amazing. Amazing makeups. Um, and I just... I felt like it was kind of an opportunity lost, and it wasn't even great CG. I could tell they tried to mix mm-hmm. kind of the elements of practical effects with CG, but it just read as straight CG. So this brings up a good question. Do you th- feel like it was more studio saying, hey, you got to go with CG, or do you think it was because, well, most of uh, Pacific Rim was CG, so he just went to that? 
I think he was trying to experiment a little bit. Okay. Because I do, do I do understand. Like when I was watching it, I was like, okay, there are a lot of practical elements on this, mm-hmm. but they masked it with CG to make it look more well, out of this world and supernatural. This is not really a spoiler, but the whole Crimson Peak thing—it's a, it's a clay farm, and um, the reason why they call it Crimson Peak is because the red clay that they're unearthing mm-hmm. it it soaks up through the snow in the winter and it turns okay. red Looks so like when it ca- so when it comes to practical effects yeah i'm sure they spent a ton of money um they actually did a really good job with the the sets, the sets. Okay. yeah the sets were amazing the things like that the, the clay coming you know all that stuff was amazing they even built his machine that he invented there was a lot of things that were really cool but when it came to the actual creatures which is what i think we were expecting from del toro it was a fail it was mm-hmm. a total fail that's too bad. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't get enamored in them like I did in the past with his films. Yeah, the uniqueness was so gone. It felt like a Scooby Doo special. I mean, creature wise. Yeah, it was. In, in <laughs> yeah, in comparison. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, the biggest thing for me is that the way they marketed it was very misleading. I think the studio decided, okay, the only way we're going to get people in during Halloween time is to market this as a horror it's movie a horror. because you can definitely do that with some of the stuff oh, yeah. they put in there. But. Ultimately, it is a gothic romance. Yeah, and I mean, okay. and I jumped a couple of times, but it wasn't because it was scary. It was because anytime there's a loud noise, I jump. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. a different kind of. So thing. it's definitely not scary. The reason I walked out <laughs> disappointed is because I didn't feel scared at all. And we had done the maze at Universal Studios of this yeah. movie, and it, it made it seem scary. even more right, like it was a horror movie, and it was a very but scary. You know maze. what? I told him when we were in the maze. I I told him I. Those masks, that and those creatures, <laughs> those creatures were not scary. They were kind of stupid. I was yeah. like, they look like kids with Halloween mask on. They look like pullover mask. Which to I me. just thought was because they had to make them real for the maze. But, but they actually okay. look like that in the movie. Like the okay. the creatures were just just imagine cheapened. just imagine Doug Jones like made up as like a crimson skeleton, and then he had this flesh and all this stuff over. But you can't physically put someone in a skeleton costume. There's there's yeah. no way. So they used CGI to kind of mask through the person to make them look more skeletal. But when you do that to a practical effect, your mind doesn't say, "Hey, that's real," because there's it's impossible. Yeah, it's impossible for that to be real. So automatically, it goes down to bad cgi well and we yeah. put cg over um like they did with the first jurassic park there's a huge difference when you're you're giving cg to kind of help help out when you see cg take a lead on something and and uh visual of our um practical effects take the back seat that's when it becomes unbelievable in the brain yeah. and i think if he had I, spent I think- more time Using CG as a as a help as a crutch instead of as a main course, it would have been a lot better. I think that he, if he wanted to experiment and if he wanted to bring something back or take bring something fresh back into the cine- into cinema, he should have probably. And this is what I would have done with those creatures. I would have done puppets. Yeah, I would have done very, very new, like technologically achieved puppets that you know moved more fluently. That you put a lot of money into the practical effects of these puppets because, yeah, you can't do that in real life, but yeah. you can't do dinosaurs in real life. We you can't a, do stuff that Stan Winston did in real life. We have a friend who uh, his name is J T. Seaton, and he made a short film called The Peripheral, mm-hmm. and he actually used stop motion for animation. his creature animation nice. for his creature in in a film it was and, and it was really creepy like it was the movements and everything well it's it really stop cool motion is kind of a lost art and but you can do it to the point where it can look real oh and, and it, creepy. the way that they do goes now that kind yeah. of jerky movement yeah. you know she's doing the movements for everyone. neck yeah. breaking you know <laughs> joint 
crushing kind of you know jerkish movement yeah. yeah i mean like they're doing that now and so stop motion is an option and and there's a lot of really good artists that could do something really great with that but i think honestly i wouldn't have cared if it was scary or not i felt like i'd seen the story a thousand times it was all Such of my favorite bad, horror stories story. it was it was like all of not my favorite horror stories but stuff like the haunting it was like those b horror stories that are more of like, so it's like it took a little bit of everything that was and just and put it together. it together and yeah said, hey this is a movie it was like you knew it was going to happen because i've already seen this before yeah you know which is too bad Kind of a mutt and film. I, the thing that killed me inside in the moment when it happened is I leaned over to her probably two thirds into the movie and I said, I'm very bored. Mm-hmm. Well, I you, you don't want to be bored. bored. No, it was very dry. You, you want to be taken for the ride. I didn't and mind enjoy it being dry. Um, Had I known it was a dry film, I would have been okay with I it. I knew it wasn't going it wasn't. to be a horror film. I knew it was going to be a thriller. Not. So I wasn't that upset. How did he, you know that? You can look at the previews. So she l- she looked up a review and got kind of a good idea of what it was before she went into the cinema. Mm-hmm. I did not. Yeah, I still thought gotcha. it was horror. Well, and I did read a review that said this is not in big letters. This is not a horror story. There are moments that are frightening, but this is not a horror story. And okay. he said if he had been told that. I would have liked it more. He like, but then well, again, I'm not allowed to discuss that it was reviews a in the house before we see a film. Okay. So I didn't well, bring that I mean, that's, that's not horrible and not too bad of a thing but because sometimes you can read a review and it's like oh man and then your whole perception on the movie is yeah no it was just very it was like some people like this some people don't it's a beautiful film it's very visually beautiful but let's be honest it's it's a gothic romance it's not yeah i i just want to encourage everyone who's listening to this who hasn't seen the film yet i mean it is definitely worth watching it is definitely a very beautiful film he thought it was boring i didn't think it was boring i just thought i had already seen it because i wasn't i I didn't like the pace of it because i wanted a horror movie right right and if you go in you know with a perspective of it's not a horror movie movie it's more of a romance you probably I think enjoy you it. would like it yeah because yeah. yeah. it, it is very beautiful and the story you know it's dry really but the character development is kind of cool um we didn't tell you what just be aware that we didn't tell you what kind of romance it is but it is definitely it, it's it's kind of a messed up romance so i wouldn't say this is something that you're going to take your sweetie to and feel warm and fuzzy inside but it, it's an interesting story like i said unfortunately it's one we've seen way too many times especially lately and um Oh, so, come on. It can't be worse than Warm Bodies with the girl falling in love with us. I liked that better than Crimson I liked Peak. it better than this, too. Nice. Yeah. And he was disgusting, and yeah. I could never love him. Uh, <laughs> to kind of wrap it up with uh, Crimson Peak, if you want to see a really good Guillermo film that's similar to it, go check out The Devil's Backbone. Um, um, and I was going to say, if you just want to watch Tom on screen, you know, it's... He it's, did good. He did good. His character was crappy. Um, Kay. His character sucked. All right. He did good. Okay. Awesome. All right, so let's move on to some other stuff. What's some really cool, fun, even if they're beer-rated movies, <laughs> to watch? Beer-rated movies. Oh, I got your beer-rated movies yeah. right here. Beer-rated beer movies, specialty. whatever you want to call them, that would be, it's fun to watch for Halloween, for this time of year. Trick or Treat. Oh, That's I love one. Trick that or Treat. It's my, and they're supposed to be making another one. I forget. The one movie. thing I hate about that hated about that movie is they put the trailer out and then you had to wait forever. For I the know movie because to come it out. got recalled. Like, yeah. they, oh, that made me nuts. I, I, me nuts. I was Ryan actually Cox fan. I was following that movie for years. I was actually in the out. middle of all that that craziness because they showed it at San Diego Comic Con several times. Yeah, probably twice. Uh, I think once in 2008 and 2009. I was there and I got to see a bunch of the movie in San Diego before anybody else. Wow. I didn't understand why they kept bringing it back to the studio. They keep having to do reshoots and pickups and stuff like that they also did the same thing to another one of my favorite films called fanboys oh i um, love that movie i got to see that way earlier than anybody else because they showed it at san diego <gasps> wait a minute where are the fanboys what it, this because there's stop. a new one coming up but we don't we go to lucas movie. we go to disney we should make a movie yeah it's gonna be a lot harder to 
to break into. Yeah, it's a lot harder to break into. They probably have snipers. Trick or Treat's an excellent Halloween movie. It's actually our tradition. Every Halloween we watch that movie. We'll watch Trick or Treat. That's funny because every Halloween I have to watch Army of Darkness. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is one of my all time favorite Halloween movies to watch. I. All month long, I pump up the Oingo Boingo and then have to oh, watch yeah. Army of Darkness. So. Hey, McKay, what did we used to do in high school every Halloween? What would we watch? Uh, which one? There were so many. Different. You got to co- get, get closer. Saw. For some reason, you need... There was Paranormal Activity. There we go. And there was Saw. Which we decided to eat. Every single year, we would sit and in front eat. of the TV... And he would break out the SpaghettiOs, spaghettios. and we would eat SpaghettiOs throughout the entire oh, yeah, that's nasty. of Saw. So blood everywhere. It was just. It was just. Disgu- we would. We would stop and look at each other. Like, why did we make these life choices? <laughs> okay, I like anything with Freddy Krueger, even though it wasn't a great oh, yeah. movie. Yeah, I love Freddy. Ver- I love Freddy versus. They're actually Jason. showing up on Netflix. Some Are of the they? no the, way. Yeah. Yeah. Shut the that hell was up. Johnny Depp's first movie actually was the yep. first nightmare I, I know. Don't, yep. I don't love Halloween, but I love some See, I, Halloween. Halloween. It, I I never got into I, to that. You know, I just yeah, he's running around in a white painted uh, Captain Kirk. Fr- Ooga, 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 Ooga. Friday the 13th, <laughs> my jam. See, but but yeah, Freddy Krueger has always uh, been my yeah, first. Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th was so boring. Okay. Okay. So, roll back. Roll I was 8. Okay. That summer, between third and fourth grade, my uncle showed me eight horror movies every day for the entire summer. I've seen probably every <laughs> horror movie that alive. was out at that point. <laughs> there are some really warped and effed up uh, horror movies out there. Nightmare on Elm Street wasn't scared of it, except for one scene when the lady answers the phone and the tongue comes like, out yeah. of the <laughs> telephone. <laughs> That I had nightmares for weeks over that, That's and that wasn't even freaky. <laughs> it is. It's really weird. I mean, I'm seeing people getting sliced up and blood gushing up and exploding up. Tongue. Yeah, it was the tongue coming out. Um, you know, with uh, with the Jason movies, you know, Friday the Thirteenth. It's like it's some kid that got drowned and he's coming back and killing people. Yay! That's not freaky to me. Ooga booga booga booga. You know, no. But I I love Freddy versus Jason. Freddy versus Jason was hilarious, and I love that because it was fun. You know, I wasn't going in trying to get scared. It was the AVP of the franchise. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Our uh, Darkness Falls that freaked me out because it was the psychological stuff. That movie uh, scares McKay to death. Nice. I remember in high school, he'd come up with a DVD and like shaking like, okay, guys, time to watch Dead Silence. Another one of my favorites to watch every year is Frighteners with Michael J. Fox. No, oh, I haven't seen that one in a while. Because, I mean, that one's really fun. It's campy, but you kind of got the horror elements to it I as well. Um, but you know, you gotta do that ghost dad. No, I'm just kidding. Well, what are some like movies that actually legitimately either disturb you or scare Ooh, you? What's the one? Uh, Phantasm. Oh, that one's a good one. That Phantasm. movie scares the crap out of me. I haven't seen it in a while. My dad made me watch it when I was like eight. It terrified me. There were I scenes mean, in the Evil Dead that really off put oh, me. Like the the both of them, the old one and the, the, new, the new one. one? The new one Ooh. was disturbing. So, so that's real, that's the a reminder. So the yeah. new Evil Dead TV series kicks off Halloween Day Ooh. with Ash. Yeah, so he he's he's an old guy, you know, and they're bringing him back into the storyline. So, so cool. 
Uh, is it is it on uh, it's sci-fi? Be on stars. Or? On stars. Yeah. Oh, we got to order stars now. Yeah. Dang it. There's n- they're not going to cut out any of. No, they're not. They're not the cutting out anything. You're going to see uh, everything. You're going to see lots of the the BB boobies yeah. and blood. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you see more than that Ash too. Ash versus Evil Dead. Yeah, yep. Like yep. Ash versus Evil oh, Dead. Yeah, I'm super yeah, excited. Yeah. Yeah. So that looks exciting. Um, you know, Evil Dead, the first one was really twisted and warped. I mean, yeah, you I see some... Yeah, I had it on one day, and I walked in on yeah. it. Yeah. McKay had it on. With I the, walked in the, there the hacking the tree attack, The tree attacking like, the, the girl. The happen, right? Yeah, <laughs> it does. It does, and I'm like, all right. <laughs> yeah. Are you talking about the first one? Yeah, yeah, the first okay, one. Okay, and then for we me... We watched that with Buddy. <laughs> I just walked in, and there were just people chopping each other up, yep. and I was like... Oh. In the cabin, I'm like, oh, yeah. All the men are like covered in blankets in the other side of the room, like. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, and and as low budget as that one is, it is kind of creepy. It is, I mean, especially when you just hear the, and you know, the camera's spinning through the forest, Mm. and yeah. It, it, yeah. it is I think the new one did a really good job as well. Like see, they just kind of modernized it. See, it was the, almost exactly the same. The new one I hated. Really? Yeah. I just I I feel like it just didn't have the same magic. Even though yeah, the I other mean, one was kind of campy, um, and it had nothing to do with the fact that Ash was a girl in this one, it's mm. just the whole fact that it just—I wanted to see something different, but not the same. If that makes any sense, no, it makes complete sense. Yeah, it was a little. That's why I want out of the Star Wars Force. It was Awakens. a little too much for me. The new one. Yeah, her in the base, and she looks up, starts cutting her tongue. I mean, it was just—it was too much. Yeah, that was—it was, that was just awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Visually, it's very not bleh. scary. Yeah. I have to mention this, or I will never forgive myself. I traditionally have to see Hocus Pocus. Actually, yep. we're watching that this weekend. Okay. It's one of my. I f- even though I cannot stand Sarah Jessica Parker. It is the only movie that she's in that I can. Children, now take me away. So that's not a scary movie, but it is No, it's a fun one. Yeah. Halloween Well, and we also had to watch E.T. Oh, and Halloween Halloween. Yeah, I like E.T.'s good. And one that my family always watched because, I mean, we had little kids all the time. It's the great pumpkin Charlie Brown. That one's awesome. It's for the kids, you know? Yeah. Halloween Town. Halloween Halloween Town's good. Halloween Town. I love it. All 20 of them. (laughs) All 20, yeah. But okay, uh, back to a, horror films. A horror film that in the past few years that I've grown to just absolutely adore. I watch it as many times throughout the year as I can is uh, Cabin in the Woods by Joss Whedon. Oh, yeah. That movie kicks so much Doesn't that have butt. Thor in it? Yeah. Guy, Does, have Chris you not Hemsworth? seen it? No. It's oh, awesome. Okay. Wait, so it tickles every button. It's okay, like so funny. The main guy. It's ridiculous. The, the, the problem is, is I can't watch horror movies that often in my house. It's not really? horror, not really. It's funny. It's quirky. It's, it's, it's exactly what you would think what Josh Whedon would do immediately following Buffy. Like, because I, so I know, good. I know, there's people controlling the house or something like that. Or you need to watch it. Okay, make it a Halloween. It's, I'm it's not, not even. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very, very, very good movie. Okay, it's well, super, spoiler, super good. There's some cool stuff in it, like for horror stuff. Just okay. you see one thing, they're like, ah. Oh, like, right. What makes it unique is it's both really scary and really fun. It's hilarious. Okay. It's really fun. You know, it's great, great, great movie. Um, one that actually disturbed me the past, what was it, six, seven months? Um, we went to the theater not knowing anything about it. It was a movie called As Above, So Below. Oh, gosh, yes. I love that movie. I was going to mention it earlier. Yeah, yeah it, it's, it's incredible. It's not like a gory, like, hack up, you know, teenagers. It is getting, a mind trip. It seriously disturbs, and it just, it, every part of your, your psyche is just, like, completely yes. moved that over. That is one of, it is so uncomfortable, and it is not. Not because it's gory. There's no cheap tricks. It's it is a found footage film, so I didn't want to see it. 
But we went and we saw it, <coughs> and I was so pleasantly surprised. It is not like any found footage film I've ever no. seen. I absolutely loved it. A quick Mainly plot. because the the actual person who was holding the camera was a professional videographer. Camera. Yeah, he knew what he was doing. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> uh, just a quick run through of the story. They're, they are uh, looking for... Harry Potter fans, listen up. Yeah, they are looking for the stone of uh, the Nicholas stone. Flamel. Yeah. And uh, it's supposedly buried in the catacombs of Paris, where the millions and millions of people died. Buried, so there's yeah. like literally s- like skeletons everywhere. And they actually, take you to the catacombs in Paris, and it's something I never I- have seen, and it, it so, was incredible. That's actually funny because uh, I know right now there's actually a th- thing out there where uh, they're offering a million dollars for someone to sleep on for Halloween night in the catacombs in Paris. I'd do it. I would totally do it. Well, so. N- Maybe not after seeing the, the thing. I think if, <laughs> I haven't seen it, yet, so send I, me right now. There's several stuff that I kind of like uh, urban myths that no one has come out if they have been there overnight, past like between the hours of midnight and two a.m. They have never come out of the catacombs. I believe that's that. because that's part of what's in the movie. Yeah, yeah, because there, there's like they, they, there's noises and things, and there's just some creepy stuff that goes down. Well, there. supposedly there's a lot of crazy people that live in there. But you know yeah. what? There's like cults go do things down there. Yeah. Like there's rooms there, for people to, to do like, like satanic like bones and, and yeah, you know, there's, there's these rooms where they just have cults in there doing all of these satanic rituals. Okay. You should come really, over and watch it with us. It's really good. It's oh, so, so done you too, Daniel. So yeah, yeah. a million dollars. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, here's a couple other things. I mean, you know, um, at least on my list, Rosemary's Baby, which is a really old, it's an old one, but it's really, really messed good. up and creepy. Oldie but a goodie. Um, <laughs> Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yes, yeah, it was go. one I have. Uh, I have to always see. It's super, super fun. Um, so we have already mentioned Halloween. Um, I put it on here, even though it's not really a horror movie. I kind of see it more as sci-fi but aliens and aliens too. Yeah, excellent it's um, one of the mazes we went through talk so about cool. evil dead uh, the omen which is kind of funny because uh, one of my kids is named Damien and everyone keeps talking about that yeah. in fact his nickname is the omen um, but that one you know th- I didn't really like this one but I know a lot of people like this one the ring well, I, I was going to say, a lot of people hated The Grudge, but that movie scared me more than any movie ever has in my entire life. See, I, I didn't get scared of The Grudge. I just got annoyed with it, because all I heard was, uh... Yeah. And then somebody uh, called me after I left the theater yeah, and did okay. that. I slept with the light on. Yeah. But, you know, The Ring, I know it made a, uh, a lot of people liked it, but, um... I yeah. like it, because it's called The Ring, and then the phone would ring. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, 28 Days Later. 28 Days Later years. That's really a good. really good one. Hey, 28 Days Later. Yeah. Say yes. You love that I movie. said I love that one. Okay, good. Yes. Maybe uh, listen when I awesome. talk. All right. His marriage is off to great. One that, one, one of my favorite, uh, which is actually always funny when I, I, I have a huge laugh watching it, An American Werewolf in London. That's classic. Uh, yeah. I like She's uh, only I, seen Paris. Yeah, right? oh, you've only seen Paris. Paris. So Paris is okay. is really cool because I mean it had CG, but the you know, Werewolf in London is like practical effects, mm. and it's really creepy. And then you know you got the the sidekick friend that shows up, and he's like an undead zombie that's slowly <laughs> oh, decomposing the whole thing. What? What was that? I said, oh, I got one. Dawn the Dead. I will Dawn watch the that. Dead is I that's a good one. That movie. Yeah, except for no one survives. Wow, now oh, no one has to watch right. it. Great. <laughs> you don't need to watch Spoiler that. Dawn of the Dead. Every, it, the sun comes up, everyone's dead. Dawn of the Dead, yes. No, that one's a good one. It, so, Dawn of the Dead, and then there was one that I wanted to see the sequel. What was that called? Um, Night of the Living Dead? No, no, no. There's a sequel about them on the island. 
What? Um, we were we were yeah, listening to we were listening to Dave loves movies, and he mentioned that there was a sequel, and he loved it. And I was like, we haven't <gasps> seen that. Yeah, we gotta watch is it. Is it on Netflix? I don't know. I don't know. I'll have to look it up because I haven't seen that one, but I always wanted to, but I yeah. didn't know anyone to watch we'll it. Have with. To see Are the same it. people um, in it? I don't know. There's one. Yeah, that I, I literally don't know. That I also love the Halloween. If you like earnest movies, there's. <laughs> stupid, yeah, I think that's hilarious. There's the there's the the Conjuring, which is a good one. <laughs> oh yeah. So if any families that want to watch a horror movie that's actually scary that you know don't prefer not to watch our movies, pick up the Insidious franchise. In fact, that's the one I was just gonna oh, say terrifying. next. Insidious. Insidious is really freaking scary. Yes. It's not gory. It's not profane or anything like that. It's it just is. a very good horror. movie. Movie. It is quite unsettling. Yeah. Uh, the Exorcist is another good one. Yeah. Um, or you know, not the Nightmare the... Before Christmas. Yeah. yeah. We yeah. had to bring it up because people always ask, "Is it Christmas? Is Halloween? It's both. Why not? Both." Watch and it. then uh, the nineteen eighty two, the thing with uh, Kurt Russell. That one's a fun. I saw one. the newer one. And that was <laughs> the newer really one sucks. It's like, what? Yeah. yeah. The new one sucks. Um, let's see if I can look this up. Sequel to Donald Arachnophobia. Dead. That was a fun one. I love that movie. <laughs> It's like the night after and the bat- dawn of the bats? day. Bats? <laughs> Have you guys seen Bats? Yeah. I love that one. Bats, the old school movie? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, let's see. Everybody's going quiet. I can't find anything. Oh, we Casper? used to. Ghost? Yeah. Come on, guys. Dawn of the to... Dead 2, is Ooh, that Adam's really family. what it's called? Adam's, Adam's family. family's really good. Adam's Family, yeah. We Always. used to watch uh, Final Adam Destination Adam. every year, too. Yeah, a huge marathon final destination as well. Yeah, that's just what I need. Every good. day after I watch that, I look around the room. There's <laughs> 7,000 like, things that can kill me. <laughs> yeah. uh, I drop a paper clip on the floor, and I'm like, how is that going to kill me later if I don't pick it up now? <laughs> mm, <laughs> These yeah. microphones we're talking into could kill us. After <laughs> it's going to electrocute us. I'm going to abs- a- accidentally um, like spit water out, and then the electric, it's going to come. Literally, I could sit here and <sighs> describe several ways that all of you could die. Thousand ways to die. See, with the light, the, the see this light fixture swings down, smacks McKay in the head, electrocutes him as he I sits grab, there. Like, no, and then he electrocutes me, and, and yeah, it's all. And then she would just touch Jared to electrocute him. Yeah, yeah. Because, because if I'm going, yeah. he's going too. He, he, he see, go and I'm just safe because I'm a ginger and I have no, no soul, right? <laughs> you, yep. Yep. That works. <laughs> and, and Dan's just taking the corner, going, Mwah. "Yep, that's how it works." <laughs> all right. Purpose. So I mean, those those are really good shows. I mean, if. For any of you, I mean, we've given you some friend, kid-friendly ones, oh, family ones. Before we wrap up, um, we saw one, uh, what was it, earlier this year, very, very good, low-budget Australian film, um, The oh, Babadook. Oh, yeah. That movie is hmm. awesome. I've yeah, heard of it's that. really good. It's very, very, very unsettling. Good. As a matter of fact, if you want to look up uh, many different Australian horror films that are produced independently, like they are very, Yeah, and you need, you guys, scary. if you want a movie that's going to really mess with your head. And triangle. Triangle. Gosh, that one will. Wow. That one's rough, hmm. man. And it's got a lot of really good actors in it. In fact, is, is Liam Hemsworth in that Liam one? Hemsworth is, is yeah. in it. Um, and some other well-known actors I actually don't know the names of. But yeah. uh, uh, recently we've been getting into Australian cinema, and especially the horror genre for them, they know how to. Oh, my gosh. They it, know it's how all, to do horror. And well, it's all mental. It's all mental, which is something that scares me more because device ghosts, kind okay, of, whatever, but mentally, yeah. I mean, we're so we're such fragile. Well, it's it's so much better when they it is psychological and mental because it's scarier. I mean, that's why yeah. I love Darkness Falls because anytime a death happens, it's off screen and all you hear is the sounds of it. So your brain kicks in and that's more scary because your imagination is a lot more scarier than anything you can see visually because we're all twisted. What's the name of the cave one? 
that I always talk about. That is the scariest the thing. Descent. The oh, descent. the descent. That one is freaky. You, there is nothing scarier to me than going through absolute trauma, being the last survivor, thinking you're out of something. And then you're And not. then realizing you're just delusional and uh-huh. you're still stuck at the bottom of a cave. Yep. Okay. These are the kind of things that happen in Australian films. These are the kind of yeah. mind tricks I'm talking about. And like, it's just such a helpless and desperate Well, feeling. not only that, just being in a cave is freaky. That's why you would like yeah. another, As Above, So Below. Another yeah. um, a show, actually. It's on Netflix. What's it called? Black... Uh, Black Mirror. Black Mirror. Mm-hmm. That's another one. It's it's total mind horror because cool. you're in a situation that you can't escape. That's a really good one if you want to get into a series that has like a sh- group of short stories. You get a different story every episode. And it kind of reminds me of a really twisted um, Outer Limits, something like that. The nice. way, you know, Alfred Hitchcock, that kind of feel. And those are great shows to watch too. You yeah. know, Outer Limits, Twilight Zone, or Alfred Hitchcock Presents, or any Outer of the Limits. Alfred Hitchcock mm-hmm. uh, any Alfred Hitchcock films. movies. So. Yeah. All right, so we're out of time. Because now we're going to bring to you something really cool, something really special. We are actually going to be rebroadcasting for the rest of tonight's show the original 1938 broadcast of War of the Worlds. So, uh, yep. Sit wow. back, relax, and enjoy the show. It's uh, it's available uh, for through Creative Commons and public domain, so we're able to broadcast that for you again this evening. So sit back, relax, enjoy, because let's face it, this scared people when it originally aired. They thought aliens were literally coming to attack them. Save so. us, Tom Cruise. <laughs> yeah, <he's laughs> Use your voodoo um, magic. Wrong guy. But anyways, <laughs> well, with that said, we'll be back uh, starting in November at our new time at 7 o'clock, and we're going to have lots of fun because something really amazing is going to happen, and we can tell you soon. So uh, we'll see you soon. Columbia Broadcasting System and its affiliated stations present Orson Welles and the Mercury Theater on the Air in The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. Ladies and gentlemen, the director of the Mercury Theater and star of these broadcasts, Orson Welles. We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's, and yet as mortal as his own. We know now that as human beings busied themselves about their various concerns, they were scrutinized and studied perhaps almost as narrowly as a man with a microscope might scrutinize the transient creatures that swarm and multiply in a drop of water. With infinite complacence, people went to and fro over the earth about their little affairs, serene in the assurance of their dominion over this small, spinning fragment of solar driftwood, which by chance or design, man has inherited out of the dark mystery of time and space. Yet across an immense ethereal gulf, minds that are to our minds as ours are to the beasts in the jungle, intellects vast, cool, and unsympathetic, regarded this earth with envious eyes and slowly and surely drew their plans against us. In the 39th year of the 20th century came the great disillusionment. Near the end of October... Business was better. 
The war scare was over. More men were back at work. Sales were picking up. On this particular evening, October 30th, the Crosley Service estimated that 32 million people were listening in on radios. For the next 24 hours, not much change in temperature. A slight atmospheric disturbance of undetermined origin is reported over Nova Scotia, causing a low-pressure area to move down rather rapidly over the northeastern states, bringing a forecast of rain accompanied by winds of light gale force. Maximum temperature, 66, minimum 48. This weather report comes to you from the Government Weather Bureau. We take you now to the Meridian Room in the Hotel Park Plaza in downtown New York, where you will be entertained by the music of Raymond Raquello and his orchestra. Ladies and gentlemen, from the Meridian Room in the Park Plaza Hotel in New York City, we bring you the music of Raymond Raquello and his orchestra. With a touch of the Spanish, Raymond Raquello leads off with La Campanita. Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt our program of dance music to bring you a special bulletin from the Intercontinental Radio News. At 20 minutes before 8 central time, Professor Farrell of the Mount Jennings Observatory, Chicago, Illinois, reports observing several explosions of incandescent gas occurring at regular intervals on the planet Mars. The spectroscope indicates the gas to be hydrogen and moving toward the Earth with enormous velocity. Professor Pearson of the observatory at Princeton confirms Farrell's observation and describes the phenomenon as, quote, like a jet of blue flame shot from a gun, unquote. We now return you to the music of Ramon Raquello, playing for you in the Meridian Room of the Park Plaza Hotel, situated in downtown New York. that never loses favor, the ever-popular Stardust, Raymond Raquello and his orchestra. Ladies and gentlemen, following on the news given in our bulletin a moment ago, the Government Meteorological Bureau has requested the large observatories of the country to keep an astronomical watch on any further disturbances occurring on the planet Mars. Due to the unusual nature of this occurrence, we have arranged an interview with a noted astronomer, Professor Pearson, who will give us his views on this event. In a few moments, we will take you to the Princeton Observatory at Princeton, New Jersey. We return you until then to the music of Ramon Raquello and his orchestra. We 
We are ready now to take you to the Princeton Observatory at Princeton, where Carl Phillips, our commentator, will interview Professor Richard Pearson, famous astronomer. We take you now to Princeton, New Jersey. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is, this is Carl Phillips speaking to you from the observatory at Princeton. I'm, I'm standing in a large semicircular room, pitch black except for an oblong split in the ceiling. Through this opening, I can see a sprinkling of stars that cast a kind of frosty glow over the intricate mechanism of the huge telescope. The ticking sound you hear is the vibration of the clockwork. Professor Pearson stands directly above me on a small platform, peering through the giant lens. I'll ask you to be patient, ladies and gentlemen, during any delay that may arise during our interview. Besides the ceaseless watch of the heavens, Professor Pearson may be interrupted by telephone or other communications. During this period, he is in constant touch with the astronomical centers of the world. Professor, may I begin our questions? Any time, Mr. Phillips. Professor, would you please tell our radio audience exactly what you see as you observe the planet Mars through your telescope? Nothing unusual at the moment, Mr. Phillips. A red disk swimming in a blue sea. Transverse stripes across the disk. Quite distinct now, because Mars happens to be at the point nearest the Earth, in opposition, as we call it. In your opinion, what do these transverse stripes signify, Professor Pearson? Not canals, I can assure you, Mr. Phillips. Although, that's the popular conjecture of those who imagine Mars to be inhabited. From a scientific viewpoint, the stripes are merely the result of atmospheric conditions peculiar to the planet. Then you're quite convinced, as a scientist, that living intelligence as we know it does not exist on Mars? I should say the chances against it are a thousand to one. And yet, how do you account for these gas eruptions occurring on the surface of the planet at regular intervals? Phillips, I cannot account for it. By the way, Professor, for the benefit of our listeners, how far is Mars from the Earth? Approximately 40 million miles. <laughs> well, that seems a safe enough distance. Uh, just a moment, ladies and gentlemen. Someone has just handed Professor Pearson a message. While he reads it, let me remind you that we, we are speaking to you from the observatory in Princeton, New Jersey, where we are interviewing the world-famous astronomer Professor Pearson. Uh, one moment, please. Professor Pearson has passed me a message which he has just received. Professor, may I read the message to the listening audience? Certainly, Mr. Phillips. Ladies and gentlemen, I shall read you a wire addressed to Professor Pearson from Dr. Gray of the Natural History Museum, New York. Quote, 9.15 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Seismograph registered shock of almost earthquake intensity occurring within a radius of 20 miles of Princeton. Please investigate. Signed, Lloyd Gray, Chief of Astronomical Division. Unquote. Professor Pearson... Could this occurrence possibly have something to do with the disturbances observed on the planet Mars? Oh, hardly, Mr. Phillips. This is probably a meteorite of unusual size, and its arrival at this particular time is merely a coincidence. However, we shall conduct a search as soon as daylight permits. Thank you, Professor. Ladies and gentlemen, for the past ten minutes, we've been speaking to you from the observatory at Princeton, bringing you a special interview with Professor Pearson, noted astronomer. This is Carl Phillips speaking. We are returning you now to our New York studio. Ladies and gentlemen, here is the latest bulletin from the Intercontinental Radio News. Toronto, Canada. Professor Morse of Macmillan University reports observing a total of three explosions on the planet Mars between the hours of 7.45 p.m. and 9.20 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This confirms earlier reports received from American observatories. Now nearer home comes a special bulletin from Trenton, New Jersey. It is reported that at 8.50 p.m. a huge flaming object, believed to be a meteorite, fell on a farm in the neighborhood of Grover's Mill, New Jersey, 22 miles from Trenton. 
The flash in the sky was visible within a radius of several hundred miles, and the noise of the impact was heard as far north as Elizabeth. We have dispatched a special mobile unit to the scene, and we'll have our commentator, Carl Phillips, give you a word picture of the scene as soon as he can reach there from Princeton. In the meantime, we take you to the Hotel Martinet in Brooklyn, where Bobby Millette and his orchestra are offering a program of dance music. Take you now to Grover's Mill, New Jersey. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Carl Phillips again, out at the Wilmot Farm, Grover's Mill, New Jersey. Professor Pearson and myself made the 11 miles from Princeton in 10 minutes. Well, I hardly know where to begin. To paint for you a word picture of a strange scene before my eyes, like something out of a modern Arabian night. Well, I just got here. I haven't had a chance to look around yet. I... Yes, that's it. Yes, I guess that's the thing directly in front of me. Half buried in a vast pit. Must have struck with terrific force. The ground is covered with splinters of a tree. It must have struck on its way down. But I can see the object itself doesn't look very much like a meteor. At least not the meteors I've seen. It looks more like a huge cylinder. Has a diameter of... Um, um, what would you say, Professor Pearson? What's that? Uh, what would you say, uh, what's the diameter of this? About 30 yards. About 30 yards. The metal on the sheath is, well, I've never seen anything like it. The color is sort of yellowish-white. It's curious. Spectators now are pressing close to the object in spite of the efforts of the police to keep them back. They're getting in front of my line of vision. Uh, uh, would you mind standing one side, please? While the police are pushing the crowd back. Here's Mr. Wilmot, owner of the farm here. He may have some interesting facts to add. Mr. Wilmot... Uh, would you please tell the radio audience as much as you remember of this rather unusual visitor that dropped in your backyard? Uh, step closer, please. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Mr. Wilmot. Well, I was listening to the radio. Uh, closer and louder, please. Pardon me? Uh, louder, please, closer. Yes. <clears throat> I was listening to the radio and kind of drowsing. That professor fellow was talking about Mars, so I was half chosen and half... Yes, yes, Mr. Wilmot, and uh, then what happened? Well, as I was saying, I was listening to the radio... Kind of halfway. Yes, Mr. Wilmot. And then you saw something. Well, not first off. I heard something. And what did you hear? A hissing sound like this. Uh, kind of like a Fourth of July rocket. Yes, then what? I turned my head out the window and would have sworn I was to sleep and dreaming. Yes. I seen a kind of greenish streak and then zingo. Something smacked the ground. Knocked me clear out of my chair. Well, were you frightened, Mr. Wilmot? Well, I ain't quite sure. I reckon I was kind of riled. Well, thank you, Mr. Wilmot. Thank you very much. Yeah, you want me to tell No, that's quite all right. That's plenty. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just heard Mr. Wilmot, owner of the farm, where this thing has fallen. I wish I could convey the atmosphere, the background of this fantastic scene. Hundreds of cars are parked in a field in back of us, and the police are trying to rope off the roadway leading into the farm, but it's no use. They're breaking right through. The car's headlights throw an enormous spotlight on the pit where the object's half buried. Now, some of the more daring souls now are venturing near the edge. Yeah, the silhouettes stand out against the metal sheen. <laughs> One man wants to touch the thing. He's having an argument with a policeman. Now, the policeman wins. Now, ladies and gentlemen, there's something I haven't mentioned in all this excitement, but it's becoming more distinct. Perhaps you've caught it already on your radio. Listen, please. Do you hear it? 
a curious humming sound that seems to come from inside the object. I'll uh, move the microphone nearer. Here. Now, we're not more than 25 feet away. Uh, can you hear it now? Uh, Professor Pearson? Yes, Mr. Uh, can you tell us the meaning of that scraping noise inside the thing? Possibly the unequal cooling of its surface. I see. Do you still think it's a meteor, Professor? I don't know what to think. The uh, metal casing is definitely extraterrestrial. Uh, not found on this Earth. Friction with the Earth's atmosphere usually tears holes in a meteorite. This thing is smooth and... You can see it's cylindrical uh, shape. Something's happening. Ladies and gentlemen, this is terrific. This end of the thing is beginning to flake off. The top is beginning to rotate like a screw and the thing must be hollow. He's moving! Look at that! Keep back there! Keep back there! Keep those hideous back! Keep off! The top's loose! Stand back! Ladies and gentlemen, this is the most terrifying thing I've ever witnessed. Wait a minute. Someone's crawling someone or something. I can see turning out of that black hole two luminous discs. The eyes, it might be a face. Might be almost But heavens, something wriggling out of the shadow like a gray snake. Now it's another one and another one and another one. They look like tentacles to me. Oh, yeah, I can see the thing's body. Now it's large. It's large as a bear. It glistens like wet leather, but that face, it, it, ladies and gentlemen, it's indescribable. I can hardly force myself to keep looking at it. It's so awful. The eyes are black and they gleam like a serpent. The mouth is that's kind of V-shaped with saliva dripping from its rimless lips. It seemed to oh, quiver and pulsate in the... Monster or whatever it is can hardly move. It seems weighed down by uh, possibly gravity or something. The thing's rising up now and the crowd falls back. It seems plenty. The most extraordinary experience, ladies and gentlemen, I can't find words. And, well, I'll pull this microphone with me as I talk. I'll have to stop the description until I can take a new position. Hold on, will you please? I'll be right back in a minute. bringing you an eyewitness account of what's happening on the Wilmoth Farm, Grover's Mill, New Jersey. We now return you to Carl Phillips at Grover's Mill. Ladies and gentlemen, my on? Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, here I am, back of a stone wall that adjoins Mr. Wilmoth's garden. From here, I get a sweep of the whole scene. I'll give you every detail as long as I can talk and as long as I can see. More state police have arrived. They're drawing up a cordon in front of the pit. About 30 of them. No need to push the crowd back now. They're willing to keep their distance. The captain's conferring with someone. Can't quite see who. Oh, yes, I believe it's Professor Pearson. Yes, it is. Now, now they've parted, and the professor moves around one side, studying the object while the captain and two policemen advance with something in their hands. I can see it now. It's a white handkerchief tied to a pole. Flag of truce. If those creatures know what that means, what anything means. Wait a minute. Something's happening. A humped shape is rising out of the pit. I can make out a small beam of light against a mirror. What's that? There's a jet of flame springing from the mirror and it leaps right at the advancing men. It strikes them head on. Oh, Lord, they're turning into flames. Now the whole field's caught up by the woods. The fires are... The gas tanks, tanks for the automobiles spreading everywhere. It's coming this way now, about 20 yards to my right.
Ladies and gentlemen, due to circumstances beyond our control, we are unable to continue the broadcast from Grover's Mill. Evidently, there's some difficulty with our field transmission. However, we will return to that point at the earliest opportunity. In the meantime, we have a late bulletin from San Diego, California. Professor Indelkoffer, speaking at a dinner of the California Astronomical Society, expressed the opinion that the explosions on Mars are undoubtedly nothing more than severe volcanic disturbances on the surface of the planet. We continue now with our piano interlude. Ladies and gentlemen, I've just been handed a message that came in from Grover's Mill by telephone. Just one moment, please. At least 40 people, including six state troopers, lie dead in a field east of the village of Grover's Mill. Their bodies burned and distorted beyond all possible recognition. The next voice you hear will be that of Brigadier General Montgomery Smith, commander of the state militia at Trenton, New Jersey. I have been requested by the governor of New Jersey to place the counties of Mercer and Middlesex as, as far west as Princeton and uh, east to Jamesburg under martial law. No one will be permitted to enter this area except by special pass issued by state or military authorities. Four companies of state militia are proceeding from Trenton to Grover's Mill and uh, will aid in the evacuation of homes within the range of military operations. Thank you. You have just been listening to General Montgomery Smith, commanding the state militia at Trenton. In the meantime, further details of the catastrophe at Grover's Mill are coming in. The strange creatures, after unleashing their deadly assault, crawled back in their pit and made no attempt to prevent the efforts of the firemen to recover the bodies and extinguish the fire. The combined fire departments of Mercer County are fighting the flames which menace the entire countryside. We have been unable to establish any contact with our mobile unit at Grover's Mill, but we hope to be able to return you there at the earliest possible moment. In the meantime, we take you to... Just one moment, please. Ladies and gentlemen, I have just been informed that we have finally established communication with an eyewitness of the tragedy. Professor Pearson has been located at a farmhouse near Grover's Mill where he has established an emergency observation post. As a scientist, he will give you his explanation of the calamity. The next voice you hear will be that of Professor Pearson, brought to you by direct wire. Professor Pearson. Of the creatures in the rocket cylinder at Grover's Mill... I can give you no authoritative information, either as to their nature, their origin, or their purposes here on Earth. Of their destructive instrument, I might venture some conjectural explanation. For want of a better term, I shall refer to the mysterious weapon as a heat ray. It's all too evident that these creatures have scientific knowledge far in advance of our own. It's my guess that in some way they are able to generate an intense heat in a chamber of practically absolute non-conductivity. This intense heat they project in a parallel beam against any object they choose by means of a polished parabolic mirror of unknown composition, much as the mirror of a lighthouse projects a beam of light. That, that is my conjecture of the origin of the heat ray. Thank you, Professor Pearson. Ladies and gentlemen, here is a bulletin from Trenton. It is a brief statement informing us that the charred body of Carl Phillips has been identified in a Trenton hospital. Now, here's another bulletin from Washington, D.C. 
the office of the director of the National Red Cross reports 10 units of Red Cross emergency workers have been assigned to the headquarters of the state militia, stationed outside of Grover's Mill, New Jersey. Here's a bulletin from State Police, Princeton Junction. The fires at Grover's Mill and vicinity are now under control. Scouts report all quiet in the pit, and there is no sign of life appearing from the mouth of the cylinder. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a special statement from Mr. Harry McDonald, Vice President in Charge of Operations. We have received a request from the State Militia of Trenton to place at their disposal our entire broadcasting facilities. In view of the gravity of the situation, and believing that radio has a responsibility to serve in the public interest at all times, we are turning over our facilities to the State Militia at Trenton. We take you now to the field headquarters of the State Militia near Grover's Mill, New Jersey. This is Captain Lansing of the Signal Corps attached to the State Militia, now engaged in military operations in the vicinity of Grover's Mill. Situation arising from the reported presence of certain individuals of unidentified nature is now under complete control. The cylindrical object, which lies in a pit directly below our position, surrounded on all sides by eight battalions of infantry without heavy field pieces, but adequately armed with rifles and machine guns. All cause for alarm, if such cause ever existed, is now entirely unjustified. The things, whatever they are, do not even venture to poke their heads above the pit. I can see their hiding place plainly in the glare of the searchlights here. With all their reported resources, these creatures can scarcely stand up against heavy machine gun fire. Anyway, it's an interesting outing for the troops. I can make out their cocky uniforms crossing back and forth in front of the lights. Looks almost like a real war. There appears to be some slight smoke in the woods bordering the Millstone River, probably fire started by campers. Well, uh, we ought to see some action soon. One of the companies is deploying on the left flank. A quick thrust and it'll all be over. Now, wait a minute, I, I see something on top of the cylinder. No, no, it's nothing but a shadow. Now the troops are on the edge of the Wilmoth Farm. 7,000 armed men closing in on an old metal tube. A tub, rather. Well, wait, that wasn't a shadow. It's something moving. Solid metal, kind of a shield-like affair rising up out of the cylinder. It's going higher and higher. What? It's, it's standing on legs, actually rearing up on a sort of metal framework. Now it's reaching above the trees and the searchlights are on it. Hold on. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a grave announcement to make. Incredible as it may seem, both the observations of science and the evidence of our eyes lead to the inescapable assumption that those strange beings who landed in the Jersey farmlands tonight are the vanguard of an invading army from the planet Mars. The battle which took place tonight at Grover Mills has ended in one of the most startling defeats ever suffered by an army in modern times. 7,000 men armed with rifles and machine guns pitted against a single fighting machine of the invaders from Mars. 120 known survivors. The rest strewn over the battle area from Grover's Mill to Plainsboro, crushed and trampled to death under the metal feet of the monster, or burned to cinders by its heat ray. The monster is now in control of the middle section of New Jersey and has effectively cut the state through its center. Communication lines are down from Pennsylvania to the Atlantic Ocean. Railroad tracks are torn and service from New York to Philadelphia discontinued except routing some of the trains through Allerton and Phoenixville. Highways to the north, south, and west are clogged with frantic human traffic. Police and army reserves are unable to control the mad flight. By morning, the fugitives will have swelled Philadelphia, Camden, and Trenton. It is estimated to twice their normal population. 
Martial law prevails throughout New Jersey and eastern Pennsylvania. At this time, we take you to Washington for a special broadcast on the national emergency. The Secretary of the Interior. Citizens of the nation, I shall not try to conceal the gravity of the situation that confronts the country, nor the concern of your government in protecting the lives and property of its people. However, I wish to impress upon you, private citizens and public officials, all of you, the urgent need of calm and resourceful action. Fortunately, this formidable enemy is still confined to a comparatively small area, and we may place our faith in the military forces to keep them there. In the meantime, placing our faith in God, we must continue the performance of our duties, each and every one of us, so that we may confront this destructive adversary with a nation united, courageous, and consecrated to the preservation of human supremacy on this earth. I thank you. You have just heard the Secretary of the Interior speaking from Washington. Bulletins too numerous to read are piling up in the studio here. We're informed that the central portion of New Jersey is blacked out from radio communication due to the effect of the heat ray upon power lines and electrical equipment. Here's a special bullet in New York. Cables have been received from English, French, and German scientific bodies offering assistance. Astronomers report continued gas outbursts at regular intervals on the planet Mars. The majority voiced the opinion that the enemy will be reinforced by additional rocket machines. There have been several attempts made to locate Professor Pearson of Princeton, who has observed Martians at close range. It is feared he was lost in the recent battle. Langham Field, Virginia. Scouting planes report three Martian machines visible above treetops, moving north toward Somerville with population fleeing ahead of them. The heat ray is not in use, although advancing at express train speed, invaders pick their way carefully. They seem to be making a conscious effort to avoid destruction of cities and countryside. However, they stop to uproot power lines, bridges, and railroad tracks. Their apparent objective is to crush resistance, paralyze communication, and disorganize human society. Here is a bulletin from Basking Ridge, New Jersey. Coon hunters have stumbled on a second cylinder similar to the first embedded in the Great Swamp 20 miles south of Morristown. Army field pieces are proceeding before the cylinder can be opened in the fighting machine rig. They are taking up a position in the foothills of Watchung Mountains. Another, another, another bulletin from Langham Field, Virginia. Scouting planes report enemy machines now three in number, increasing speed northward, kicking over houses and trees in their evident haste to form a conjunction with their allies south of Morristown. Machines also sighted by telephone operator east of Middlesex within 10 miles of Plainfield. Here's a bulletin from Winston Field, Long Island. A fleet of army bombers carrying heavy explosives flying north in pursuit of enemy. Scouting planes act as guides. They keep the speeding enemy in sight. Just a moment, please, ladies and gentlemen. We've, uh, we've run special wires to the artillery line and adjacent villages to give you direct reports in the zone of the advancing enemy. First, we take you to the battery of the 22nd Field Artillery, located in the Watching Mountains. Range 32 meters. 32 meters. Projection 39 degrees. 39 degrees. Fire. Forty yards to the right, sir. Ship range, 31 meters. 31 meters. Projection, 37 degrees. 37 degrees. Fire. Yes. Hit, sir. Got the 
try but one of them. That stop. The others are trying to repair Quick, it. Quick, get the range. Shift 50, 30 meters. 30 meters? Projection 27 degrees. 27 degrees? Fire. Can see the shell answer. Letting off a smoke. What is it? Black smoke, sir. Moving this way. Flying close to the ground. Moving fast. Put on gas masks. Get ready to fire. Shift to 24 meters. 24 meters. Projection 24 degrees. 24 degrees. Fire. Can't see, sir. Smoke's coming nearer. Get the range. Twenty-three <coughs> meters. Twenty-three meters. Bombing plane V-843 off Bayonne, New Jersey. Lieutenant Volt commanding eight bombers. Reporting to Commander Fairfax Langham Field. This is Volt reporting to Commander Fairfax Langham Field. Enemy tripod machines now in sight. Reinforced by three machines from the Morristown Cylinder. Six altogether. One machine partially crippled. Believed hit by shell from army gun in Wachung Mountains. Guns now appear silent. A heavy black fog hanging close to the earth of extreme density, nature unknown. No sign of heat ray. Enemy now turns east, crossing Passaic River into the Jersey marshes. Another straddles the Pulaski Skyway. Evident objective is New York City. They're pushing down a high-tension power station. The machines are close together now, and we're ready to attack. Plane circling, ready to strike. A thousand yards and we'll be over the first. Eight hundred yards. Six hundred. Four hundred. Two hundred. There they go. The giant arm raised. Green flash. They're spraying us with flame. Two thousand feet. Engines are giving out. No chance to release bombs. Only one thing left. Drop on them, plane and all. We're diving on the first one. Now the engine's gone. Eight. This is Bayonne, New Jersey, calling Langham Field. This is Bayonne, New Jersey, calling Langham Field. Come in, please. This is Langham Field. Go ahead. Eight army bombers in engagement with enemy tripod machines over Jersey Flats. Engines incapacitated by heat ray. All crashed. One enemy machine destroyed. Enemy now discharging heavy black smoke in direction of... Newark, New Jersey. This is 
Newark, New Jersey. Warning. Poisonous black smoke pouring in from Jersey marshes. Reaches South Street. Gas masks useless. Urge population to move into open spaces. Automobiles use routes 7, 23, 24. Avoid congested areas. Smoke now spreading over, over Raymond Boulevard... X2L calling CQ, 2X2L calling CQ, 2X2L calling 8X3R. Come in, please. This is 8X3R coming back at 2X2L. Eyes reception. Eyes reception. K, please. Where are you, 8X3R? What's the matter? Where are you? Speaking from the roof of Broadcasting Building. I'm speaking from the roof of Broadcasting Building, New York City. The bells you hear are ringing to warn the people to evacuate the city as the Martians approach. Estimated in the last two hours, three million people have moved out along the roads to the north. Hutchison River Parkway is still kept open for motor traffic. Avoid bridges to Long Island, hopelessly jammed. All communication with Jersey Shore closed ten minutes ago. No more defenses. Our army is wiped out. Artillery, Air Force, everything wiped out. This may be the last broadcast. We'll stay here to the end. People are holding service here below us in the cathedral. Now I look down the harbor, all, all manner of boats, overloaded with fleeing population, pulling out from docks. Streets are all jammed. Noise in crowds like New Year's Eve in city. Wait a minute, the, the enemy is now in sight above the Palisades. Five. Five great machines. First one is crossing the river. I can see it from here, wading, wading the Hudson like a man wading through a brook. A bulletin is handed me. Martian cylinders are falling all over the country. One outside of Buffalo, one in Chicago, St. Louis. Seem to be timed and spaced. Now the first machine reaches the shore. He stands watching, looking over the city. His steel cowlish head is even with his skyscrapers. He waits for the others. They rise like a line of new towers on the city's west side. Now they're lifting their metal hands. This is the end now. Smoke comes out, black smoke drifting over the city. People in the streets see it now. They're running toward the East River, thousands of them, dropping in like rats. Now the smoke's spreading faster. It's reached Times Square. People are trying to run away from it, but it's no use. They, they're falling like flies. Now the smoke's crossing 6th Avenue. Fifth Avenue. Uh, 
a hundred yards away. It's, it's 50 feet. listening to a CBS presentation of Orson Welles and the Mercury Theatre on the Air in an original dramatization of The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. The performance will continue after a brief intermission. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells, starring Orson Welles and the Mercury Theatre on the Air. set down these notes on paper. I'm obsessed by the thought that I may be the last living man on earth. I've been hiding in this empty house near Grover's Mill, a small island of daylight cut off by the black smoke from the rest of the world. All that happened before the arrival of these monstrous creatures in the world now seems part of another life. A life that has no continuity with the present furtive existence of the lonely derelict who pencils these words on the back of some astronomical notes bearing the signature of Richard Pearson. I look down at my blackened hand and I try to connect them with a professor who lives at Princeton and who on the night of October 20th glimpsed through his telescope an orange splash of light on a distant planet. My wife... My colleagues, my students, my books, my observatory, my... my world. Where are they? Did they ever exist? Am I Richard Pearson? What day is it? Do days exist without calendars? Does time pass when there are no human hands left to wind the clocks? Writing down my daily life, I tell myself I shall preserve human history between the dark covers of this little book that was meant to record the movements of the stars. But to write, I must live, and to live, I must eat. Find moldy bread in the kitchen and an orange not too spoiled to swallow. Keep watch at the window. Time to time, I catch sight of a Martian above the black smoke. Smoke still holds the house in its black coil, but at length there's a 
hissing sound, and suddenly I see a Martian mounted on his machine, spraying the air with a jet of steam as if to dissipate the smoke. I watch in a corner as his huge metal legs nearly brush against the house. Exhausted by terror, I fall asleep. Morning. Morning. Sun streams in the window. The black cloud of gas is lifted, and the scorched meadows to the north look as though a black snowstorm had passed over them. I venture from the house. I make my way to a road, no traffic. Here in their wrecked car, baggage overturned, a blackened skeleton. Push on north. For some reason I feel safer trailing these monsters than running away from them. And I keep a careful watch. I've seen the Martians feed. Should one of their machines appear over the top of trees, I'm ready to fling myself flat on the earth. I come to a chestnut tree. October. Chestnuts are ripe. Fill my pockets. I must keep alive. Two days I wander in a vague northerly direction through a desolate world. Finally, I notice a living creature. A small red squirrel in a beech tree. I stare at him and wonder. He stares back at me. I believe at that moment the animal and I shared the same emotion. The joy of finding another living being. Push on north. I find dead cows in a brackish field and beyond the charred ruins of a dairy in a silo. Main standing guard over the wasteland like a lighthouse. Deserted by the sea. Stride the silo, perches a weathercock. The arrow points north. North. Next day, I come to a city. city vaguely familiar in its contours, yet its building strangely dwarfed and leveled off as if, as if a giant had sliced off its highest towers with a capricious sweep of his hand. Reached the outskirts, I found Newark. Newark, undemolished but humbled by some whim of the advancing Martians. Presently, with an odd feeling of being watched, I caught sight of something crouching in a doorway. I made a step towards it. It rose up and became a man. A man armed with a large knife. Stop! Where do you come from? Oh, I come from... from many places... A long time ago from Princeton. Princeton, huh? That's near Grover's Mill. Yes. Grover's Mill. <laughs> There's no food here. This is my country. All this end of town down the river. There's only food for one. Which way are you going? I don't know. I guess I'm looking for people. Hey, what was that? Did you hear something just then? No. Only a bird. A live bird. Yeah. You get to know that birds have shadows these days. Say, hey, we're in the open here. Let's crawl in this doorway here and talk. Have you seen any Martians? No. They're going over to New York. Night, the sky's alive with their lights, just as if people were still living in it. Daylight, you can't see him. 
Five days ago, a couple of them carried something big across the flats from the airport. I think they're learning how to fly. Fly? Yeah, fly. Hmm. Well, it's all over with humanity. Stranger, there's still you and I. Two of us left. Yeah. They got themselves in solid. They wrecked the greatest country in the world. Those green stars, they're probably falling somewhere every night. They've only lost one machine. There isn't anything to do. We're done. We're licked. Where were you? You're in a uniform. Yeah, what's left of it. I was in the militia. National Guard. <laughs> That's good. There wasn't any war. Any more than there's war between men and ants. Yes, but we're eatable ants. I found that out. What'll they do to us? I thought it all out. Right now, we're caught as we're wanted. A Martian only has to go a few miles to get a crowd on the run. But they won't keep on doing that. They'll begin catching us systematic-like, keeping the best and storing us in cages and things. They haven't begun on us yet. Not begun? Not begun. All that's happened so far is because we don't have sense enough to keep quiet. Bothering them with guns and such stuff and losing our heads and rushing off in crowds. Now, instead of our rushing around blind, we got to fix ourselves up. Fix ourselves up according to the way things are now. Cities, nations, civilization, progress. Yes, but if that's so, what is there to live for? Well, there won't be any more concerts for a million years or so and no nice little dinners at restaurants. If it's amusement you're after, I guess the game's up. What is there left? Life, that's what. I want to live. Yeah, and so do you. We're not going to be exterminated. And I don't mean to be caught either. Tamed and fattened and bred like an ox. going to do? I'm going on. Right under their feet. I got a plan. We men as men, we're finished. We don't know enough. We got to learn plenty before we got a chance. We've got to live and keep free what we learn, see? I've thought it all out, see? Well, tell me the rest. Well, it isn't all of us that are made for wild beasts. That's what it got to, that, that's what it got to be. That's why I watched you. Watched you. All those little office workers that used to live in these houses, they'd be no good. They haven't any stuff in them. They used to run, run off to work. I've seen hundreds of them running to catch their commuter's train in the morning, afraid they'd get canned if they didn't. Running back at night, afraid they wouldn't be in time for dinner. Lives insured and a little invested in case of accidents. Yeah, and on Sundays, worried about the hereafter. Well, the Martians, they'll be a godsend for those guys. Nice roomy cages. Good food, careful breeding, no worries. Yeah, after a week or so of chasing around the fields on empty stomachs, they'll come and be glad to be caught. You've thought it all out, haven't you? Sure, you bet I have. That isn't all. These Martians are going to make pets of some of them. Train them to do tricks. Who knows, get sentimental over the pet boy who grew up and had to be killed. Yeah, and some maybe. They'll train to hunt us. Oh, no, it's impossible. Yes, they will. There's men who do it gladly. If one of them ever comes after me, by. In the meantime, you and I and others like us, where are we to live when the Martians own the earth? I got it all figured out. We'll live underground. I've been thinking about the sewers. Under New York, there are miles and miles of them. The main ones, they're big enough for anybody. And there's cellars, vaults. Underground storerooms, railway tunnels, subways. You begin to see, huh? 
We'll get a bunch of strong men together. No weaklings. That rubbish, out. As you meant me to go. All right. Give you a chance, didn't I? Won't quarrel about that. Go on. Well, we got to make safe places for us to stay in, see? Get all the books we can. Science books. That's where men like you come in, see? We raid the museums. We'll even spy on the Martians. May not be so much we have to learn before... Listen. Just imagine this. Four or five of their own fighting machines suddenly start off. Heat rays right and left. Not a Martian in them. Not a Martian in them, see? But men. Men who've learned the way how. May even be in our time. Gee. Imagine having one of them lovely things with its heat ray wide and free. We'd turn it on Martians. We'd turn it on men. We'd bring everybody down on their knees. That's your plan. Yeah. You. Me. A few more of us. We'd own the world. I see. Hey. Hey, what's the matter? Where are you going? Not to your world. Bye, stranger. Well, after parting with the artilleryman, I came at last to the Holland Tunnel, entered that silent tube, anxious to know the fate of the great city on the other side of the Hudson. Cautiously, I came out of the tunnel and made my way up Canal Street. Reached 14th Street, and there again were black powder and several bodies and an evil, ominous smell from the gratings of the cellars of some of the houses. I wandered up through the 30s and 40s, Stood alone on Times Square. Caught sight of a lean dog running down 7th Avenue with a piece of dark brown meat in his jaws and a pack of starving mongrels at his heels. Made a wide circle around me as though he feared I might prove a fresh competitor. Walked up Broadway in the direction of that... that strange powder, past silent shop windows, displaying their mute wares to empty sidewalks. Past the Capitol Theater, silent dark, past a shooting gallery where a row of empty guns faced an arrested line of wooden ducks near Columbus Circle. I noticed models of 1939 motor cars in the showrooms facing empty streets. Over the top of the General Motors building, I watched a flock of black birds circling in the sky. Hurried on. Suddenly, I caught sight of the hood of a Martian machine standing somewhere in Central Park, gleaming in the late afternoon sun. An insane idea. I, I, I rushed recklessly across Columbus Circle and into the park. I, I climbed a small hill above the pond at 60th Street, and from there I could see, standing in a silent row along the mall, 19 of those great metal titans, their cowls empty, their steel arms hanging listlessly by their sides. I looked in vain for the monsters that inhabit those machines. Suddenly my eyes were attracted to the immense flock of black birds that hovered directly below me. They circled to the ground. And there before my eyes, stark and silent, lay the Martians with the hungry birds pecking and tearing brown shreds of flesh from their dead bodies. Later, when their bodies were examined in laboratories, it was found that they were killed by the putrefactive and diseased bacteria against which their systems were unprepared. Lane, after all, man's defenses had failed. By the humblest thing that God, 
as wisdom is put upon this earth. Before the cylinder fell, there was a general persuasion that through all the deep of space, no life existed beyond the petty surface of our minute sphere. Now we see further, dim and wonderful is the vision I've conjured up in my mind of life spreading slowly from this little seedbed of the solar system throughout the inanimate vastnesses of sidereal space, but a remote dream, maybe. Maybe that the destruction of the Martians is only a reprieve to them and not to us. Is the future ordained, perhaps? Ah, strange it now seems to sit in my peaceful study at Princeton, writing down this last chapter of the record, begun at a deserted farm in Grover's Mill. Strange to watch children playing in the streets. Strange to see young people strolling on the green where the new spring grass heals the last black scars of a bruised earth. Strange to watch the sightseers enter the museum where the dissembled parts of a Martian machine are kept on public view. Strange when I recall the time when I first saw it. Bright and clean-cut, hard and silent under the dawn of that last great day. This is Orson Welles, ladies and gentlemen. Out of character to assure you that the War of the Worlds has no further significance than as the holiday offering it was intended to be. The Mercury Theater's own radio version of dressing up in a sheet and jumping out of a bush and saying boo. Starting now, we couldn't soap all your windows and steal all your garden gates by tomorrow night, so we did the best next thing. We annihilated the world before your very ears and utterly destroyed the CBS. You will be relieved, I hope, to learn that we didn't mean it and that both institutions are still open for business. So goodbye, everybody, and remember, please, for the next day or so, the terrible lesson you learned tonight. That grinning, glowing, globular invader of your living room is an inhabitant of the pumpkin patch, and if your doorbell rings and nobody's there, that was no Martian. It's Halloween. <laughs> Tonight, the Columbia Broadcasting System and its affiliated stations, Coast to Coast, has brought you The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells, the 17th in its weekly series of dramatic broadcasts featuring Orson Welles and the Mercury Theater on the air. Next week, we present a dramatization of three famous short stories. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System.